Hi, my name is Tracy G and I'm an inner work coach, NLP trainer and podcaster extraordinaire. Passionate about equality and a world that is more diverse and inclusive, giving each and every one of us the opportunity to be the best version of ourselves. As a biracial woman, I've experienced my fair share of discrimination in the past and come out on top. We all know that discrimination and bias still exists in the world today, and it's not always easy to know what to do about it. This podcast, All One Inclusive, is about celebrating all diversity and being proud of all that you are. I chat with inspiring guests and my friends as we share stories from news sources and listeners from all over the world who have experienced some form of discrimination firsthand. The aim is for us to be able to discuss this issue more openly so it becomes better understood by all and provide tips about what you can do to make a difference. The world may have a lot of catching up to do, but if we can imagine a more equal world, we can create change step by step, ripple by ripple. Hello! <laughs> How we have today? Welcome back, Meenal. Meenal is the girl that's helping me out because she likes, because she loves this podcast so much, don't you, Meenal? Yes, that's be the reason. Oh. Oh, Meenal had, had some spare time on her hand, Ooh. and that's why. Sure. Okay, so I, I think we should go straight into stories. I haven't really got anything exciting to share. Just think of anything else I've been doing. Not really. Mm, no. What was that? Bought some Aboriginal art. You bought um, some Aboriginal art. Yeah. Which I've been looking for for a long time. I went to my market. But only really two people selling art. I bought a little one, which I like, but I wanted a bigger one for all. And so on the way back, I was driving home when I had the bigger one and I stopped by the gallery in, there's a Kate Owen gallery in, in and I'm not plugging, sorry, I didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, and I was driving by and I stopped by that gallery and I found something that I really liked. So it is now hung up on my wall. It's beautiful. Love it. Oh, yeah. cool. Can't wait to see it. What was the motivation behind buying it? To be honest, I think it was when we were having brunch in QVB and we happened to be up on like really level of the second top, whatever it is. There's a gallery right there. And I remember walking past it and going, oh, this stuff is really nice. And I really want something for that wall. But that gallery is so expensive. <laughs> and I couldn't obviously really find anything in there that I could afford it. Well, yeah. Um, and so I've been on the lookout for, for a few months now for stuff like that. Cause I was like, oh, look nice, I think. Um, nice. and I really, I find it to be beautiful. So, mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Awesome. That's lovely. Buying, buying art for your yeah. home. Yeah. And it was a bit, the one I ended up buying, I was looking for a female artist, but the one I ended up falling in love with was a male artist. So I was like, oh. But anyway. Oh well. Oh well. <laughs> oh well. 
just as talented. Can't deny his talents. True. What you're drawn to. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, it's it's beautiful. 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 We didn't talk well. Don't we know? We had a, I mean, it was a, like a month ago now. Our Christmas in July. Yes. That was fun. That was fun. And we Lots. did a, a curry-themed one. And your curry was amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Curry-themed Christmas in July. Christmas in July is very Australian. Yay. And I don't know, maybe Brits, maybe Brits, maybe Europeans invented it because the idea is it's only cold in July and it's too hot in the, win- in the winter in Australia to yeah. feel like it's actually Christmas, for the, yeah. you know, which is Northern Hemisphere, cold climate thing. Yes. So hence we have halfway through the year, we have like when is supposedly the coldest time, uh, a Christmas that feels like a European Christmas or a Northern Hemisphere Christmas, yeah. So Christmas in July was curry, which is very suited to the cold weather. Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously, I eat a lot of curry, so there's something and eating curry. I like. Mm, I um, love it. You so many people are talented in cooking curry. Well, I was trying to make a Jamaican curry, a West Indian recipe, but it's not easy to find the Jamaican spices here. So yeah. I had to try to put it together from scratch and it wasn't, it was okay though. It was definitely nice, but it didn't taste how I remember. So when I go home next, I'm going to have to bring some spices back. Yes. The Jamaican spice. I don't know how this is. What? We're friendly. Very good curry. Like oh, no, Good. He made, I mean, I've been having a bit of curry recently, but he made this chicken curry, which is like a South Indian thing that I've never tasted before. And it was so good. And he was like, I'm like, I need to have this. It's so good. He was like, no, I've run out. I have to go back to India to order it. And I'm like, surely not. Surely we can get it here. But apparently not. Well, this is the thing. It's like spices and the blends of the spices. It's the same with Nigerian, as a Nigerian dish. And it's just, it's called a Nigerian stew that my dad cooks. And you can get individually, probably get spices, but it's the blend of spices and how they blend them together. So yes. when he goes to Nigeria, they bring it all back then, the spice blends to make yes. food. Also, it doesn't taste the same. Yeah, of course. Any, and, 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 you know, our friends from South Africa, she does that. She brings spices back from South Africa. Yeah, mum's the same. Every time she goes to Fiji, she will buy more spices. And then she's very particular about the brand of spices that she buys here because it doesn't taste the same. So Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? So there you go. There's a market for it. Okay, so stories today. I have this story which is interesting in the sense that I never considered China as a... I never considered China as a racist country, and that's not what I mean. Yeah. I just never thought China, I don't know. I think, well, wait, firstly, I never imagined black people living in China. I only imagine Chinese people living in China. I don't, I've never been to China myself, so I wouldn't know for sure. Mm. Um, even if, I wouldn't even imagine like Japanese living in China or any other Asian, South Asian 
ethnicity living in China. I feel like China is just for Chinese people. Now, it could be just a huge error. I don't know. But um, there's a story in the ABC News about Human Rights Watch calls on Beijing to remove racist content from Chinese internet. And as we know in China, we know it's very highly censored. They're generally not allowed any Western platforms. They don't have access to things like Google, WhatsApp, Instagram. None of that's available to China, China but they do have their own versions of these things. Yeah. And even those versions are censored in the sense that anything p- remotely political or against talks about their government is generally removed. They're very, very strong on that. And a new report from Human Rights Watch finds racist content on the Chinese internet targeting black people has become common. It's become quite common, which I thought, wow, okay. Is that a thing? Especially if there's no black people there. So how's that a thing? But then even more interesting, how are they perceiving black people when there's not as many or very many that live there? So what happened was Emily Du, who's a Chinese citizen, has married an African man. And it's not clear if they live in China, but I suspect they do. And her family in China were not happy, but that was nothing compared with the racist attacks that were posted online. So the beginning of her relationship, her family was really against her relationship with with her African partner. And after years of marriage, the family has become more relaxed. And online where China's intense censorship regime rapidly moves and wanted political content is a different story. Miss Du and her husband Eric, who is from Benin in West Africa, have been sharing their family life on social media for nearly two years. Uh, it sounds like Miss Du is the one that runs the social media accounts. And she gets internet trolls. And she mentions that in May of this year, so May 2023, there was an internet trend called the anti-black wave on all major social media platforms. And our, and it's called Zai Zahongshu, which is a Chinese social media platform. So their account, their comment section was bombarded with abusive attacks from strangers for days. Miss Ju told the ABC. So this social media platform was being like likened to Instagram. It says the abuse was not only directed at me and my family, but also at some people who supported us and spoke up for us on social media. And the couple had quite a few supporters, but they also became used to negative comments. And she says she felt shocked. She says at that time when such a large-scale abusive attack suddenly broke out, I felt so shocked. Mm. And the pair have been married for six years. They have three children. And they spoke to him, but he didn't. Eric seems reluctant to speak to the this journalist. He's just said that he did not have he didn't have a Chinese social media accounts. They weren't his. So he wasn't as aware of the online racism. And he did say that the cyber violence we are subject to and the stares we get from our surroundings stems from more prejudice and misconceptions about specific races. I don't think they are racist. Most of them are just curious. I don't know about that. 
Yeah. Look, it seems if you live in China, if you still have upstairs. Yeah, I would say so. They must live in China. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess what is the perception Chinese people have of black people or African people? And this is very telling, isn't it? Yeah. And he, he goes on to say, this is Eric, they look at me with a mindset that was given to them by other people. And even if there was a, any racism around me, I didn't see it because I don't live in their bubbles, I live in my own bubble. This is what he's saying. Miss Du said in China, interracial marriage, especially Chinese and African marriages, were very rare. She said the racism they have encountered online has recently lessened. And the diversity of social media personalities has increased. And at the same time, the general public has become more tolerant of different types of people and content, she said. I don't really like that word tolerant. Suggests there's something to tolerate, but I get why she's saying that. Miss Ju and her husband were not the only ones to suffer this kind of abuse in China's major social media platforms. Experiences with racist and offensive posts are rife across the country's most used social media, according to a new report by Human Rights Watch. And then the story goes on to give some examples. It's really bad. There's one here, like, a, like you know, you get in the magazines, cartoons. Yeah. And um, during... COVID, there's one here showing, you know, like, you know, those like people in hazmat suits and there's bins, like rubbish bins or biological waste and garbage bins. And we've got a picture putting, there's a black person in the bin disposing of foreign garbage. That's, that's one of the examples. And then then there's other videos, they've like done the black face thing. So actually an actor. It's just the whole, to me, this is like stuff that used to happen years and years ago yeah. in, in the likes of the UK, Australia, you know, blackface, showing African people in grass skirts and yeah. just that how, just the perception. But it's quite funny. It's not funny. It's terrible. But I'm just thinking, you know, my stereotype, everybody has stereotypes, right? My stereotype of Australia was literally kangaroos jumping around koalas and desert because you don't didn't I didn't see much representation of Australia in the media and I don't know where I got the kangaroos from maybe there was some kangaroo tv show I don't know and then the whole crocodile dundee so that was my that was my entire education of Australia and that as inaccurate as they were generalizing as they were they weren't necessarily harm harmful are perpetuating anything negative. You come to Australia, you see it's nothing like that. And, you know, all is good with the world. But when you start to perpetuate, you know, Africa, people in Africa, like wearing, not wearing clothing, you know, just as people that are, um, I don't know, uncivilized and, or criminals or whatever, it's to me, it's crazy. Or it's people that can't fend for themselves, and you know, this is this idea that they're victims, and I guess all that kind of UNICEF and some of the charities, yeah, Ethiopian drought and starvation, and yes, those things absolutely happen. But Africa's quite a big country, and black people outside of Africa, 
I just think it's a, a stereotype that's perpetuated. It's very harmful. Yes. Anyway. Um, hopefully, kind of the growing pains, you know, as like they move, they get more exposure to different people who aren't Chinese, you know, same thing for, you know, Australia when lots of migration happens, lots of racism happens. And then hopefully people then assimilate a little bit more, not assimilate, that's the wrong word, but interact a lot more with people who they're not used to. And then it becomes less and less, probably. you know, this feeling that they're foreign and they're like, they're threatening or something. Mm. And so they just, you know, assume the worst. But there's so many things. Apparently in the 2022, a BBC documentary revealed videos of African children being instructed to repeat demeaning phrases in Mandarin that was being sold on Chinese social media. And Chinese social media, they blocked searches of videos containing the same Africa, which blocked everything to do with you know, even educational stuff. Mm-hmm. And then there was a, another incident on China Central Television that they, which talks about a skit where a Chinese government investment in Africa featured a Chinese actress in blackface reciting lines like, China has done so much for Africa and I love Chinese people. I love China. <laughs> that kind of thing. Wow. So funny. It does sound ridiculous, but like they don't see it as racist. That's what's also ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And they obviously have a political, economical relationship with Africa, African countries that serves them as well. I think they should be really careful. Yeah. I guess generally speaking, black people, Africans aren't going to know what's happening in China. Yeah. It's hard to know what's going on without stories like this. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, it's not surprising. It's not a surprising story. No. It is and it isn't. It's like, on the one hand, it's like, oh, this day and age kind of thing. But then on the other hand, it's China and they're very cut off culturally from the West, you know, the big evil West. Yeah. But I just, can't, I just find it interesting that they have that such a perception of black people as being. Yeah. Whatever their judgments are. I'm very completely different. No, I've had so much, seen so much social media content between like Indians and Koreans, because like the Indians are obsessed with the Koreans and the Koreans seem to be, you know, quite obsessed with the Indians as well, like cinema and, you know, music and clothes and stuff. And I've been, I've seen so many more like, relationships and marriages and things between Indians and Koreans. I was like, oh, this is not something I would have expected. You know, it's it seems so strange because everybody's a little bit obsessed with Korean pop and Korean, you know, drama and things like that in general. But those two in particular seemed interesting because there was so many, there's videos of like girls dancing to like Bollywood music and things like that. So I'm like, oh, it's pretty cool. So are you saying like because of the, fascination with Korean pop culture, the Indians are so fascinated with it and vice versa, that there's more like interracial interracial relationships and mixing of the culture. Yeah. And from people like in India who like contacted, you know, 
being connected to people in Korea and then dating and things like that, and married and stuff like that. And tourism, like that yeah. normally wouldn't happen. Like so many more people are going over yeah. and vice versa. They're like, oh, love it. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, this social media stuff can be very helpful in exposing people to things that normally, you know, would be, they wouldn't think of. So, yeah, I guess it's everything is good and bad with everything, hey? Yeah, I think so. Can you, I always say that, can be used for good, can be used for bad. Yeah. Like some people are so anti-social media because yeah. of the bad things. And I was like, you're right. Yeah. I mean, and there needs to be some controls and regulations for sure, but it can be used for so much good as well, not just, just bad. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I like the effect of boarding people to, you know, other cultures and things like that. I think that yeah, I like that as well. Exposing people to other cultures so it's not, so people don't seem so different because people really yeah. aren't so different. No, exactly. Fundamentally. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I have seen it where, like, it, it's like these guys rock someone's house as a response to their like social media comment, like where they're like, oh, I could punch harder than, I don't know, some guy. You know, like, well, that's kind of funny. I like that. That your comments have consequences, you know? Like, so that would be, I think that needs to go out a lot more. Like people are just like, people would say things on social media that they would never say in person, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that as well. I think if you wouldn't say it in person, you shouldn't be putting it on social media. Yeah, but they do because they feel like there's some sort of some barrier protection. Yeah, exactly. Especially when they're anonymous, they don't have mm. you know, they don't have it linked to you know, their their actual. I just think you shouldn't be allowed to do anonymous posting. Although I have seen context where it's appropriate, and it was where a woman was talking about her daughter. Mm needing some support and help and obviously didn't want to I wanted to ask for help without revealing the identity yes of a child and if she'd revealed her own identity then it would be obvious yeah so I get those kind of this context where that's important yeah but maybe then there's only there's certain places where that's possible but not everywhere yeah exactly yeah definitely that makes it like on random people's Instagram, you shouldn't, or whatever, or whatever the platform, you shouldn't be able to put an anonymous comment in. And stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. Most people are not being going to write something positive, generally speaking. But yes. Interesting. All right, so I have a news story from ABC News, and the title reads, Louise Taylor becomes Australia's first female Indigenous Supreme Court judge. <laughs> so now I'm going to try not to butcher this. The Camille Laroe woman, Louise Taylor, has become the first Indigenous female Supreme Court judge in Australia. Justice Taylor was appointed to the ACT Supreme Court today as the territory's sixth judge. She has made history for a second time after she was appointed a ACT's first Indigenous magistrate in 2018. So good for her. And she has described the, you know, the court as an engine room of the justice system. And she said, I'm hopeful it has put me in an excellent position to deal with the workload in the Supreme Court. For my part, it will be business as usual, being a judicial officer 
just in a different place with a broader jurisdiction. She says that she feels very honoured and privileged for her community. And this is, of course, a very proud day for her family and her, but she hopes that it's also a very proud day for First Nations people, in particular First Nations women. At my appointment, I'm conscious of the significance of it, and I'm very proud to accept this appointment. During this announcement, ACT General Attorney General Shane Burring, Rattenbury, said the government was pleased to be able to appoint a local judge who she hoped would inspire others to follow in her footsteps. Ms. Taylor is, of course, the first Aboriginal woman to be appointed. We are very delighted that as a preliminary woman, she has not only had the outstanding legal career, but she also represents Aboriginal people and will be a role model for young lawyers coming through to understand how far they can progress with their careers and hopefully provide a source of inspiration. And just a side note, last year, Queensland appointed its first ever Indigenous Supreme Court judge, Warren Mungarman Lincoln Crowley. Justice Taylor appointed, yeah, that's interesting. Justice Taylor appointed appointment marks an expansion in the ACT to Supreme Court bench to six justice, to six judges after restructure removed the associate judge position. And she, she, Chief Justice Luke, Lucy McCollum, God, has strengthened her court because it's a very strong court with diversity, lots of local experience, some experience from New South Wales lawyers who have been talent advocates, and we have a very strong mix, she'd say. Mm, that's a really good story. I mean, great. I didn't realise that. So, this, so if I heard correctly, this is the first female First Nations woman says, hey, justice, what do you call it? Just to be in the Supreme Court. In the Supreme Court, but they've got a title. Yeah. Like, just, is the title just justice? Justice, yeah, yeah their name. Yeah. Okay, yeah, got it. And then, but there has been a First Nations man, I guess yeah. he would be the first then in Queensland yeah. as far as First Nations go, but this is the first First Nations woman, which is even, which is amazing and incredible. Exactly. Uh, even that it was a First Nations man was incredible. Yes. Oh, Queensland. So that's quite amazing. Yeah. It's kind of, well, for me, I think it's positive news, particularly in, on account of the end of the year, for Australians, for the voice. So I think the more, yeah, exposed yeah. you have to positive news stories is, is great. Yeah, with First Nations, yeah. That's, a, that's another interesting thing that's dividing the country. I don't know why. I don't know if it's all this, what they call false news. Yeah. Why, it's such, why it's so contentious, yeah. other than you really not wanting to recognise Aboriginal people in the Constitution. I don't see why it's such a contentious problem. I don't actually. know. I media, some person say. Can't hear you, Mino. It was just a member of Parliament, I think. Just talking about how you knew of some Aboriginal mother of six or something and she was living in poverty. And, you know, why weren't people dealing with that? You know, and she pulled, she named a few Aboriginal leaders who she said had lots of money. And I was just like, what does that have to do with the vote? So I think, as normal, like, 
like with all of these kinds of changes that people will try and put through, they're like dividing the issue. Like it's not about all of that. It's not, you know, it, that might have a fair discussion at some other point. But this is about just recognizing Aboriginal people in the constitution. That has nothing to do with what she was talking about. So that's, yeah, it just, it's not healthy, really, you know, her education, her position and stuff. But, yeah. yeah, I guess people just have to justify their position. Honestly, honestly, in some cases, I feel that people just want to be opposed because mm. it gives them attention. Yeah. Sometimes. I honestly feel that that's some people. I think some people may have genuine objections yeah whether i agree with those or not it's another matter but i feel like a lot of the people are just jumping on the opposition bandwagon to be to be make some noise and be seen yeah that's how that's the perception i'm getting with some of this stuff it's like what how it's yeah it's very disheartening when it's supposedly well-informed people yeah people that you would expect to be well-informed anyway yeah. So okay. Well, great story though. Yeah. First, just first, Justice Taylor, the first Indigenous woman to become part of the Supreme Court. And the, I guess each state and territory has its own Supreme Court, obviously. Mm. I didn't know that. Yes, I guess, but I didn't know that. So you shared the story. <laughs> oh. Things you learn. Oh, my God. So this podcast is quite educational. Yeah. Well, for us anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely for me. Yeah. Oh, oh, thank you for sharing that story, Mino. It's very interesting. Good to see we're progressing in some instances anyway. Yes. Sometimes mm. most people at a snail's pace. But... Snail's pace. That's right. All right. Well, well, that's all we have time for. And I did lose some power as we were recording at the end there. That's all good. Anyway, we'll speak to you next week. So enjoy. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you have as much fun with us today as we did. If what you heard resonated with you, don't forget to show the love and like our YouTube channel, All One with Tracy G. Give us a five-star rating on whichever podcast platform is lucky enough to have this episode because they rock too. Feel free to email us stories or questions at alloneinclusive at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter if updating yourself about everything which goes down sounds like something right up your alley at tracygandu.com. Until the next time, see ya.